Hello and welcome to Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm Gemma Purdy from Monash University. Today's topic is Indonesia's Corruption Eradication Commission and the latest episode in its struggles to maintain its authority and independence in order to fulfill its mandate. In recent months, as the KPK undertakes one of the largest graph investigations in Indonesia's history, it has faced considerable challenges. One of its commissioners has been the victim of an acid attack, and the Parliament, or DPR, has now triggered its power to mount an inquiry into the agency. What has triggered the inquiry, and what could its implications be for the future of the KPK? To explore these questions and more, I'm joined by Desi Simanjuntak, visiting researcher at the Indonesian Studies Program at ISIS Yusuf Ishak Institute, Singapore. Desi has been closely following this issue and has worked extensively on patronage politics in Indonesia. Desi, welcome to Talking Indonesia. Thank you so much for being here. Now, we wanted to begin by giving us some background to the Corruption Eradication Commission. Can you tell us a little bit about how it's evolved and when it began, perhaps? The Corruption Eradication Commission was, was established in 2002 by President Megawati. The aim is to well, strengthen uh, the efforts to eradicate corruption and also to trigger other legal enforcement institutions to do their job well, which is the police and the Office of Attorney General. KPK is not our first anti-graph agencies. There have been other efforts in the history, I think even in the Sukarno era, but these institutes were not, they were not empowered enough, Mm -hmm. so they were dissolved or they were so toothless, like toothless, yeah, yeah, something like that. But under B.J. Habibie, he was the first one after reform who issued a law that aims to clean the governance mm-hmm. from KKN, Corrupsi, Kolusi, Nepotism. And then he also made uh, three other legal enforcement institutes like Ombudsman. And, and then Gusdur continued the effort and we formed the TGPTPK. So joint team for corruption eradication, team gabungan pemberantasan tindak pidana korupsi, and then Megawati in two thousand and two pushed for the the creation of uh, KPK, and the KPK has a very far-reaching mandate, including the investigation, prosecution, and prevention of corruption. It has five commissioners actually. One is the head commissioner, and four deputy commissioners. And they are chosen by the parliament, and their term is four years, but they can be re-elected. Can you tell us about the powers that the KPK has or has been given? It has a very far-reaching mandate. It can actually conduct seizure, and it can also intercept communication without prior court approval. Wiretapping. Yeah, wiretapping is uh, so... It has a lot of uh, power, actually, and it is an independent institution. It reports annually to the people through uh, the president and the DPR and the BPK, which is the National Audit Board. So what kinds of cases has it been involved in? Well, there are draft cases, mostly that are done by government officials and parliamentarians. 
The KPK has a amazing one hundred percent conviction rate. Okay. Yeah. So it, it is in, its investigations are extremely thorough, and yeah. because it has those powers of seizure and wiretapping, etc., yeah. surveillance. Yeah. They can really. They can also uh, prevent people from going abroad. Okay. They're investigating right. travel bans, and so politicians are under the spotlight, and other yeah. government government officials, mm-hmm. police as well. Do they mm-hmm. investigate police? Yeah, police also. Yeah, actually, that's that's what the gecko versus crocodile term. Came Can you from. tell us about that? What was what is that case, gecko versus crocodile? Well, there are many episodes of gecko versus crocodile, and I yeah, where term. does that come from? That term actually. Uh, that was in 2009. The, the first time it was heard of is 2009. It was created by a high-ranking police officer. He referred to KPK as geckos and the police force as crocodile. And he said geckos should not dare to go against crocodiles. Why he said that? Because he was his phone call was tapped by KPK because the KPK was conducting an investigation on a case. Uh, liquidation of uh, bank sentry. So there was the probe was going on. KPK was conducting wiretapping. Yeah. And this high-ranking police officer was tapped, mm-hmm. and he was angry. So he he used that term. Used this term. Yeah. And then there's subsequently been other cases where the police have been under investigation, and this yeah. term has been taken up. And the media use it now, don't they? Quite. Commonly. Yeah. The media used it actually to refer to. Uh, any quarrel, quote unquote, between KPK and uh, a stronger institute. Yeah, yeah. mostly K- uh, the police. How would you describe the KPK and the people that work there? What kinds of? How would you describe them as characters? Very determined. They're very determined. Very brave. Maybe. Yeah, they are very brave, and uh, well, there have been uh, many attempts to criminalize uh, KPK commissioners. Mm. Actually, that's also part of the second and the third episode of Gecko versus Crocodile. <laughs> Yeah. So in the first gecko versus crocodile case, actually, it was a there was a, something that many believe as a retaliation that happened because uh, two KPK commissioners were taken into custody in relation to you know some sort of a bribery case, mm. something like that. Mm-hmm. They were taken to custody for some you know something unrelated to what they do, but uh, they were curbed by the police yeah and the second gecko versus crocodile episode also involved a retaliation also uh two other commissioners were also taken to custody because of this yeah because of the investigation that they were uh, conducting against a also a high-ranking policeman for i think a case of a uh, procurement of the simulation equipment for license examination something like that and were any of these cases prosecuted and found guilty. In the second Gecko versus Crocodile, the, the then president SBY instructed the attorney general to stop the prosecution of the two commissioners. So they were saved. Yeah, intervened. Yeah. Also the third one, the third Gecko versus Crocodile is uh, maybe used to remember the Budi Gunawan case. Yes. There was also uh, an attempt to uh, take in commissioners to custody for unrelated cases just to curb. Yeah, harassment. Isn't it intimidation and harassment? Yeah, yeah, something like that, just to kind of limit their investigation. Mm-hmm. So, but then in the end, um, Budi Gunawan did not become a police chief, but he now became uh, the head of the intelligence body 
right? Mm-hmm. Pinter badan yang telah dihidupkan. He's head of pin. Yeah, head yeah. of pin. So this was just after Jokowi became president. Yes. This and this was this struggle over who would become, get appointed the police chief. Yes. And uh, the PDIP were quite keen on Budi Gunawan, weren't mm-hmm. they? But mm-hmm. Kapika had these charges or these investigations yes. going yeah. on into him. And uh, mm-hmm. so that was a struggle there. Mm-hmm. But in the end, Jokowi came out because he... Can we talk about that? I mean, Jokowi was elected on a platform of very much cleaning up corruption, yes, that kind yeah, of thing. So yeah. this was a real test case yes, for yes. him early in his presidency. Yeah. So how is his relationship with Kapika? Is there one or how would you describe that? I think they're still in the same team. KPK and Jokowi are both eradicating corruption and maintaining uh, good governance, clean governance. But of course, Jokowi is also a president that is supported by political parties. Certain political parties have uh, interest in having their supporters in the government. So then the president has to be very smart in negotiating and in balancing between the interest of the parties and the interest of uh, good governance. Yeah, so in this case, he did prevail, or he, his perspective did prevail. That's kind of the last time we had a gecko versus crocodile yes, case, right, in yeah. early tw- 2015. Mm-hmm. So bring us up to, to date now with, with this battle that's going on, but now it is between the KPK and the parliament, the DPR. Can you tell us about that? What is What are the origins of that particular struggle. It's not new, right? It's, it's, it's been ongoing for, for a while. I think since 2010, the parliament has been pushing to revise the anti-graft law, uh, law number 13, 2002, which is the portfolio of KPK. There have been many efforts and many uh, drafts that were brought before by the parliamentarians, but there were also many protests so the the deliberation have been postponed, but recently the parliament has exercised their inquiry right against the KPK to investigate KPK's activities, especially that which involves the ongoing probe to the procurement of the e-identity card, so EKTP. This multi-million project, actually, I think the budget was 5.9 trillion rupiah. Mm-hmm. According to KPK, it has incurred state losses of 2.3 trillion. So it is, I think, one of the gravest corruption case, if not the gravest corruption case. This is a mega corruption case. And when did they, when did they start their investigation? Two years ago, two or maybe more than two years ago. And so this investigation, you're saying uh, the inquiry is triggered specifically by, by this, this case. By Tell this case. Because the KPK in 2014, if I'm not mistaken, uh, named a suspect, and this suspect is a, a high echelon official in the Ministry of Home Affairs. And then further investigations uh, revealed that there is also another high echelon official in the Ministry of Home Affairs that is also involved. So there are now two defendants. But with the two named defendants, there are a list of names that allegedly receive money mm. in relation to this graph case. And a lot of those names are uh, lawmakers, politicians, politicians, and uh, of course, officials at the Home Affairs uh, Ministry, former and uh, current official, and also former and current members of the parliament. Mm-hmm. So the inquiry committee that they have just uh, formed was triggered by, especially by the capturing of one Hanura politician, Miriam S. 
and she was captured. She said in her initial testimony that she knew where the money is channeled and who got the money because she was allegedly a courier for the money. But then in another session with the KPK, she said that, oh, uh, she changed her testimony. She said, oh, actually, I didn't know anything. And then a, a further probe revealed that she was pressurized by her colleagues in the parliament. So then the, and suddenly then in the parliament, the, there was a push to make a inquiry committee, to form an inquiry committee. And then the moment the inquiry committee was formed, the first thing they asked was to call this woman to the DPR to, to be examined. But she's not going yet because the KPK has rejected the request of the DPR to allow her to come. Yes. Okay. And so this has triggered the inquiry. Yeah. Will the inquiry be able to have wider powers than that, like to actually to pursue these reforms to the 2002 law? Is that what it's also aiming to do? It's aiming to, well, at least one person at the inquiry committee has said that, okay, the re result of this inquiry would be, can be the basis for a further revision of 2002, the 2002 law. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which basically is to curb and weaken the KPK. So who, uh, can you tell us about who makes up at, in the parliament, who, who is on this panel or committee that is doing this inquiry that's responsible for this? There were seven fractions. They came from PDIP, Gokar, PPP, Nasdem, Hanura, Verindra and Pan. So from Hanura party, her own party. Yeah. Mm. And the head is a politician from Gokar. And his name is in the indictment. Wow. Yeah. And yesterday he was called... Who is that? Uh, Mr. Agun, Agun Gunanjar. He was called by the KPK yesterday to be examined. Yeah, and we were paying attention to that and it turned out to be okay. He so said, he did go? He did go and he said that he was examined very professionally by the KPK. So that was good. <laughs> Goodness. And then sent away... Sent away. Okay. So they. So you said before that the DPA has the power to appoint the commissioners. Yes, in by the first voting. Place. By voting. Right. Yeah. So they they are the choice of the parliament in the beginning. Yes. And yet they're not yes. being trusted. Yes. Actually, one of the commissioners is a police commissioner. Novo Baswedan is one of the KPK commissioner, yeah. and he's also a police commissioner. Yeah. So, but then he still was a some sort of a victim of I mean this know. was only recently yeah. happening. So yeah. tell us because uh this you know it goes to the point that we were talking about like who who makes up the KPK and the fact that these have to be quite determined uh and in some mm. ways brave people who do this work because they're constantly being mm. harassed. And then there's this case with Novel Baswedan just in June, yes? Yes. What happened there? Uh, I think some somebody threw some sort of a liquid acid, yeah, acid, yeah, something on him. But yeah. yeah, so he was attacked. Yeah, he was attacked. And there's still no, yeah, no suspects. Yeah, yet. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't the first time, as I understand it, that he himself had been attacked. Yeah, and and it's happened to others as well. So mm -hmm. there is Novel Baswedan sitting up in some hospital bed in Singapore, as I understand it, mm -hmm. while this is all happening as well. So there's mm -hmm. a, quite an intense mm -hmm. focus. Yeah, on this whole process. So we're saying that the outcome of the inquiry is not really certain what they want, is it? I think what they want is to have a control over what KPK is doing in their probe into this particular case because it's a it's a very big case involving a large amount of money.
And so, again, that composition of the members of the Committee of Inquiry, mm. um, that's been something that the media have been talking about, the fact that, as you said, there are members who are themselves under investigation <laughs> for things. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't seem to be an impediment, does it? to being a member of such a committee. You know, you don't have to be entirely no. clean. Yeah, no, but what is clean? <laughs> um, I think the parliament does not take into account whether the name of the person that is now in the inquiry committee is also in the list of the, the indictment of the JPK. I don't think they care. But some people are caring, right? In Indonesia, mm. you know, there are members of the public and uh, and other po politicians perhaps who are concerned. And I've seen in particular members of Gorindra Party have been quite outspoken about that, you know, there should be clean, neutral, you know, membership of this such a committee. Yeah, and also PKS. PKS rejected, they refused to send uh, its member to be a part of the inquiry committee. Because it knew that it would be compromised. Yeah. And so do you think that, I mean, that point that I was just getting at about the public, do you think that, you know, they're getting kind of fed up with these games? I think the public is divided as usual for anything that is happening in Indonesia politically. The public is always divided. But then there are more and more academics, actually, that, that are supporting the KPK and rejecting the inquiry uh, probe against the anti-graph agency. What form does that take, that protest? 132 legal experts under the former chief justice of the Constitutional Court deem the formation and the grounds for forming the inquiry committee as legally flawed because you cannot inquire an independent agency. It can only be exercised to, uh, on a uh, government, government institution. And also 400 lecturers of the Universitas Gajah Mada, they've recently declared their rejection um, against the inquiry right exercise, mm -hmm. as well as the alumni of the University of Indonesia. That's quite some support. And yeah. I mean, in terms of public opinion about the KPK, they trust them don't they? As a public institution, yes. it's yeah. a very trusted one. It's a very trusted one. Compared to the parliament and members of parliament, yes. who would have to be one of the most untrusted. Yes, Taifu Mujani Research and Consulting, who has done polling on this. Yeah. So if you were to extrapolate from that, where the public would sit on the battle, as you're saying, yeah. between the KPK and the DPA, surely they would be on the side of the KPK. Mm -hmm. Because this goes to this question of the scale and the, the continuing prevalence of corruption and patronage politics within Indonesia more generally. And you've written a, a lot about this. How would you describe the situation today in Indonesia compared to the beginning of Reformasi when the dream was this would be eradicated? Where are we at? I think there have been many, many positive things that happen. I think the development towards corruption eradication is, is showing a very positive result. And like you said, the public is not against the KPK. The public is very supportive of the, of the activities of KPK. And our president is also chosen because he represents clean governance. So the whole, I think the atmosphere in Indonesia is, is very supportive to corruption eradication compared to the first years of uh, reform or I think President Jokowi is the best figure to represent efforts towards clean governance. Mm. He's been consistent he on that. He was consistent on that. Yeah. yeah. So there's this kind of, as you're saying, atmosphere and general sense that this yeah. is what 
Indonesians want and need. Yeah, yeah. but yet still there are cases like the mm-hmm. you know the EKTP card and mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. only recent, mm-hmm. which you're describing as the biggest. It's the uh, graft case, yeah, and yeah. that's in very recent times. Yeah. And so how do you break that patronage politics cycle? Yeah, I think it is quite hard to do because the KPK is going against a mountain of established corruption, and it's very systemic also. But then compared to other law enforcement institutions in Indonesia, I think KPK, despite not having its branches in the regions, managed to prosecute corrupt officials. Yeah. Um, I think with very limited budget also and resources. I think this still tells us that the corruption eradication efforts are fruitful. Yeah, they're having impact. I guess the fact that you can see these, be they crocodiles or whatever, kind of scrambling around and getting very anxious And turning around and attacking the KPK is indicative of just how frightened they're becoming, that they're the next ones. So that might be indicative of the impact that it's having, Mm -hmm. and it might just be like a process, gradually, gradually. Well, the KPK is a very threatening uh, institute. So they have these powerful instruments, and they have support, as you're saying, from civil society and from the president. Mm. In this particular case with the parliament, do you see that the president is in any way going to intervene or play a part? I think so far the president uh, has not intervened, but he cannot actually because constitutionally the inquiry right is the domain of the DPR, the parliament. But the moment that the parliament tries to, for example, dissolve the KPK, then the president can do something about it because he has the right to. So we know Jokowi's position on mm, defending yeah. the KPK. Yeah. At the end of the day, what power does the DPR have to impact on the work of KPK? Well, I don't know how far that this inquiry will go. I think they can seriously impede, they can curb yeah, mm. yeah, the, the investigation of the KPK. Going back to Novel Basuedan, I mean, mm. he, he was actually working on this case, this particular case. So you, one would have to wonder, you know, what else is happening, who, if they ever find who did this to him. Yeah. You know, yeah, that could yeah. be linked back. Well, that, there is an inf- investigation about that, on that yeah. already. Yeah. And so. in the midst of that, this, yeah. this, yeah. this um, yeah. is going on between between the parliament and what between is the KPK. interesting now is that I think it's, I think the, the crocodile is different. It's not the police. Yes. I think the police is is somehow at the side of KPK. I think the police nowadays have undergone some sort of a reform themselves. They have a very pro-reform national chief, uh, Mr. Tito Karnavian. I think this is a good development. Yes. And so the the crocodiles are now the um, (laughs) members of the parliament. I don't know if we can still call this a gecko versus crocodile. No, but I have to think of a new term for it. Yeah. Because unlike the police, they can't go around charging people with crimes. No. And, in, you know, incarcerating them. No. So as you say, they can actually curb their, mm-hmm. their work, what they're really yeah. actually trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so 
generally speaking, you've indicated that you think that it's a it's a long journey to the end to corruption. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is kind of all happening at the elite yeah, levels. Yeah, Can you say something about what might be happening more of the grassroots local levels in, in politics or business or whatever, where you know, there's education or any other processes around anti-corruption? Well, as you know, Indonesia is decentralized. I think this is happening in Jakarta, whereas, you know, I think in different regions, of course, corruption is still happening. Mm-hmm. And we can see it by um, the recently that the governor of Bengkulu was taken into custody for an alleged corruption. So for me, I see that there is a different kind of discourse concerning corruption in the central state and in the regions. I think... I don't know whether this is because the KPK do not have a branch in the regions that they are a bit more free in just conducting uh, whatever they have been conducting for for decades. Yes, this is and they're getting away with they're more. Getting, yeah, I think they're getting away with a lot of corruption. Right in the regions, I think there has been. I think until now. There is a misunderstanding of what KPK is. I think some people in the parliament still believe that the KPK is an ad hoc institute, that mm. it can be dissolved when it's not needed anymore mm. because its function was to trigger other law enforcement institutes to be to be working better, right? Mm-hmm. So then there is this idea that, okay, once the police and the office of attorney general work well, then we don't need you anymore, then you can be dissolved. But that's not the case. It is supposed to be... A much more uh, permanent uh, institute and of course Indonesia in this trajectory towards uh, corruption eradication needs this kind of very strong very committed if every people. single country needs it no yeah. you know yeah. regardless of you know yeah. how much or how little corruption is, yeah. is there they yeah. need it yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and meanwhile they also keep pushing for a revision to weaken it yes that's what that this is, isn't it? Yeah. So it's to weaken its role. Mm-hmm. Um, but whilst it, it has the support of uh, Jokowi, one would hope that that can't and be And also the support of the people, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, there hasn't, you know, at what point would there be kind of a public outcry, do you think? I mean, was there public outcry with the attack on Nobel Persuadum, for example? Uh, I think with the attack, there was not so much of a public outcry. People know about it and pay attention to anything yeah. that is happening to the KPK commission. Yeah. But then the gecko versus crocodile episodes are all, you know, very intensively covered by media. Yeah. So people have access to what really is happening like every day. Yeah. So I think now because of this also intensive coverage by the media on this uh, this graph case, I think not many people in Indonesia would not know, you know, yeah. about this. Yeah, and so the the members of parliament are really under the spotlight, yes, which is yeah. a good thing, yeah, because you would hope that they would behave. In terms of the longer term for Indonesia and patronage politics and money politics, do you yeah, know? Do you politics. think that this is just something to be lived with for the medium long term in Indonesia? Well, I hope that it's going to be reduced. <laughs> yeah, each time, each time, and um, I think for for KPK itself, you know, especially, I think it's I think this whole fiasco and the other fiascos in the past only made it stronger because you know they managed to overcome yeah and and came out triumphantly uh, from the three others and also the prosecution against uh, 
Antasari, for example, everything just made it more loved by the public and garner more support. And uh, let's hope that their vigilance and their commitment to uh, to eradicate uh, corruption will still be you know strong. Well, I think that's a great note on which to end. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Desi. Some hope. That's what thank we're you. after. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> that was Desi Simonjuntak from Isias Yusuf Ishak Institute in Singapore. Talking Indonesia will return on the 3rd of August, hosted by Dave McRae. Remember, you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. Subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Or find us via your favourite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.